You know, Martin Luther King, before he was murdered in Memphis a number of years ago, all the trouble that was coming and all the anger and the racism and the prejudice and the turmoil that was in the nation, he is reported to have sat his children down with him around the table and told his children, trying to uh, prepare them, he said, children, I will likely be assassinated. And as we know, he was. There's a report of a woman that went to a doctor with her baby. The young child was having some symptoms, and he ran some tests and told her, your baby will die in nine months, and there's nothing we can do about that. Your baby will die in nine months and will suffer greatly. And she said to him, he will not suffer. And in the course of the next nine months, he did not suffer, but almost to the day, nine months, he died. And you would look at that and say, well, God, if you are a miracle-working God, if you could take away the suffering, why couldn't you just go ahead and extend the miracle? A miracle is a miracle. Why did the baby have to die? And then you have to look right back there and find out what she said. She said he will not suffer, but she never did say he will not die. Missionaries all the time, you'll read about them. There's books written by them. They assume because of their sacrifice in a foreign land under all the conditions and even in some tribal areas where there's actually danger of being not only killed but maimed and even cannibalized, missionaries often trust their safety to God because they are in a sacrificial mood. And they often die. Many of them die, assuming they're saying, well, God knows I'm here, and if he sees fit, he'll take me out. He'll let me die here, but I'm going to do it anyway. And you wonder why some missionaries don't ever die and come back, and some missionaries do. You think, well, it's just the conditions. But no, we have to look at what was said, what is being said. Amen? Many people have said, you've probably heard them. I know I have heard people talk about their life, and they'll say, well, my daddy died at a certain age and I probably won't outlive him. And you look back there and you go, look at that. That's exactly what happened. Do y'all know anybody that did something along that line that spoke about a condition? I know my own father was a little bit concerned because his father died at 40s. It's a little bit a trial for him. Uh, other people will say, you know, life is hard. I've heard people say life is hard, but they'll say that's hard. Or my job is hard. Or I have a hard marriage. I live with a hard woman or an idiot man or whatever they say. They say it all. And that's exactly what happens. They have a hard life. You look at them and document it, and they have a hard life. There's people that say to their children, you'll never amount to anything. And that either affects them one of two ways. They either amount to nothing, or they rebel. They kick that back and said, bless God, just because you said it, I'm going to prove you wrong. And they become a great success, hardly ever just down the middle of the road. Some people, little kids, say, when I grow up, I'll be a doctor. Sure enough, they go that. Some people say, I'll marry that girl. Or I'll marry that boy when I get older. Do you know things like that? And you just follow that out, and that's the way it works. Well, you think, well, that's just psychology. That's not psychology. That's life. And I'm going to help you all this morning understand how it works. Now, the choice is yours. You can do anything you want with your life up to a point. We'll lock you up for some things, but to a point, we'll let you live your life like you want. But I want to put notice on you this morning. Your life is in your hands. Your life is in your mouth. And nobody has to have a hard life. And nobody has to live a certain way, no matter how they started, no matter how life was handed to them, no one has to live their life anything less than in the victory of Jesus Christ. Amen. He has said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to overflow. And that is the way it should be. That's the way it could be.
but we have a say about it, literally. And so it's up to you how you want to face your life. I'm reminded of how we as parents many times are so proud of our children. Many times we were raised in a rough place or didn't have any advantages or just had a hard time. We covenant or we determine, we will, that we're going to have it different for our kids. And so we'll put them in the best schools and we'll do without to put the best clothes in them and all manner of things to get our kids out there and have something that we didn't do. But I'm telling you, all that is soulish. It's well-backed, and it's good to think that way. But I'm telling you, a lot of times parents and folks will live a desperate life trying to put their children out there and not putting a miracle in their own mouth. We could spend a little time changing us. We could have good kids raised right and have our own life too. I tell you, God's against sacrifice. Jesus did the sacrificing, and you're not supposed to. There's some things in the Word that he tells us that he's our example. But there's many things that the Lord Jesus did that we're not to follow, and sacrifice is one of those. Now, it does say that you need to put things under, you need to sacrifice, you need to separate yourself, and that becomes a sacrifice, but it's only in order that you would peel off destructive things and things that were hard on your life. Amen? Look here in Matthew chapter 12, in verse 33. We go to this passage regularly because I am just adamant about these principles. They have just changed my life. They are the source of my hope. They are the reason I am, if I am anything that I am, is because I have determined to live this part of my life fervently. Jesus said in verse 33, he said, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by its fruit. I want you to notice here that the tree and the fruit have a correlation. And Jesus said that you can never change the fruit. You shouldn't be looking to the external, that you ought to look to the internal. That you can do all manner of things to the little pear, the little apple, the little cherries, whatever's on the tree, the fruit. But if it's diseased, if it's sick, if it's an apricot tree, you're just not going to get fine apples. He said there's a correlation there. And he said, you make the tree good. You put the fertilizer on the tree, not on the fruit. You put the water on the tree and not on the fruit. And he said, the fruit will take care of itself. Now, family, I notice Christians all over. They're always working on the outside, trying to get prosperity on the outside. You'll see Christians, you'll get behind them in a convenience store in other states, and you're wanting to pay for your candy bar. They got the fish on their car, and they got a cross on their neck, and they got, you know, whatever, and they got lottery tickets going up to the counter. And they're trying to get prosperity on the outside without making the tree good on the inside. And if they did win, if they did hit the big one, God's not against it. He's not keeping Christians from winning. You have an equal chance. If a million people bought it, you got one in a million or whatever. He's not swaying it. But if they did win, I'll tell you, I guarantee you, you can't put the fruit on the outside if you don't have the structure of the tree on the inside to support it. And it will be gone. And you can't put healing on the outside. You can't get healed on the outside. I mean, you can get healed on the outside, but you can't retain it. You can't maintain it until you put healing on the inside. Jesus was adamant about this. He said, you make the tree good and the fruit will be good, or you make the tree corrupt and the tree will be corrupt. Now, we as Christians, sometimes we look at the world and we see they're driving the finest and living in the finest and having fun in the finest, and we go, man. They are evil. They're dealing this and selling that and, you know, involved in all sorts of things. This isn't fair. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. It can never be better than what's on the inside. 
We change, we let him change the inside, and by default, the outside is changed. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his way of doing business, and all the things that come from righteousness will just be hanging on your branches. He said, they will come. You don't have to look for them, don't have to seek for them. He said, you get the inside right, the outside will take care of itself. Now, that's a hard lesson. It seems simple enough, it seems easy enough, but... Here's the point. Here's the whole thing. We need a church. We need a people. We need a covenant people that will believe it and live it under demonstration. We need a people. You can tell that bunch is blessed. That literally takes the words of the Lord and they live it. They don't say, well, yeah, that's good on Sunday. And then they're under the table on Monday trying to make a deal go. It's futile to work on the outside without working on the inside. It will always revert. Well, verse 34 says, O generation of vipers, how's that for an opening statement to a bunch of friends? Hallelujah. How can you being evil say unbelieving? That's what that means. How can you being unbelieving speak good things? He's asking a question so he can answer the question. He says, how can you think that something on the inside won't make it to the outside? He said, you're deceived to think that you can have what you got going on the inside but that you can speak something else out. Now, I understand, you know too, that we can speak anything out of our head. We can articulate anything through our mouth out of our head. So you can say, I'm rich, I'm healed, I'm blessed, I got the best boy, whatever you can say. But those things don't move the mountains, they don't create. It's faith-filled words, and they have to come out of here. And so that's what he's talking about. How can you, being evil, being unbelieving, here he said, Speak good things. Speak out of the heart, out of the belly, out of the place that makes a difference, that changes your future. How can you think that you're going to draw something good out of that little nest of rock? But you know Christians do it all the time. Pray for me, pastor. Put me on the prayer board. Put me in the chain, whatever. There's nothing on the inside. They want somebody else to pray for them because there's nothing on the inside. We ought to be getting our prayers answered. We ought to be able to speak to our mountain. We ought to be able to lay hands on our body and talk to it. We ought to tell our money, money, here's what you're going to do for me. See, but we got to have something on the inside. You can't just say, now, what did he say? Well, now, where's that book that I can read? That's not it. It's got to be on the inside, doesn't it? And so that's a process. That's something that's happening. That's something that's turning. We're a speedboat going towards poverty, and for us to turn that thing around, we got to slow down and finally quit going less and less fast towards poverty and sickness and eventually make the U-turn and hit the throttle and eventually get up to speed towards prosperity. You don't just click it on. I mean, you can click it on for a moment, and you can say the right thing, and you can look good, but eventually you're going to have a demise. Your bad tree is going to show up with some bad fruit. But we're in the process. We're making the turn, aren't we? Verse 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now, why would Jesus say that? He's talking about fruit and trees. Why would he say the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh? It must be that the mouth is attached to good things. That it's not just that you have need of good things. And the Lord looks down and says, well, I've been going to church a lot. And I saw him kick in that extra 10. And I saw him go back to the nursery, so I'm thinking about doing some good things for him. It has nothing to do with that. He is not a personality that is personally involved in your life in the sense of looking at you good and bad, ebbs and flows, and saying, I'm going to adjust. We do that with our children. But on the other hand, the best way to raise children is to set some standards 
and then just work off those standards. If you do this, you get rewarded. If you don't do this, well, you're going to the corner or whatever. And that's the way God is. He's not arbitrary up there saying, well, you know, I'm thinking about Jonathan this week. He was a good boy, and I believe I'll just throw him a bone. It's not that way, y'all. The more people praying to God, oh, look at Jonathan, Lord. Look, we're all praying for Jonathan. Throw him a bone, Lord. Give him something good. That's not how it works. Jonathan has to either make the tree good and his fruit good, or he's outside. And so it says here in verse 35, he explains it. Oh, I love it. He says, a good man, a man with righteous motives, a man towards God, a man that really cares about his future, out of the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things. Where do good things come from? Out of the heart. How do they get out of the heart? Well, you know, the Lord just looks down there and sees you have a good heart. You know, the Lord knows on the inside. That's not it, y'all. Lots of people with good treasures in their good heart, in the sense of motives and desires and willing to do right and ethically, but they never open their mouth. I said they never open their mouth. Now, here's a little clue. He said, if you'll take care of your heart, your heart will open your mouth. Now, we have parroted, we have under faith said, I'm blessed, I'm healed, I'm on the victory side. We've said that, but what we're doing in that is we're feeding our heart. We're putting good treasure in our heart. That's how we put it in our heart. You'll get a little bit listening to me, but how you'll have increase in your heart is when you listen to you. When you say I'm blessed, things are a lot better than when I just say you're blessed. Because you believe you better than you believe anybody. An expert will stand there and say, this is how it is. But if you don't think so, throw his statistics and his education out. And you say, but I think it's this way. And you're going to have what you think. Because what you have in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. Now, how much of that? Well, he went on. This is so cool. He said, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. An evil, unbelieving man out of the unbelieving treasure bringeth forth evil things. So let's go back up here in verse 34 where he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That word abundance literally means overflow. It means over and above. But what it actually also means is delight. Say delight. So he says, out of the delight of the heart, the mouth speaks. So once you get involved in something, once you get into something, you say, yeah, I want to be healed. And not just go down and get them to pray for me. And there's nothing wrong with that. And we should. But I'm talking about where you aren't just saying, well, the preacher didn't have it. I've had people tell me that. Well, you know, he didn't have it. It wasn't about me. They actually said it about a guest speaker. Got healed one meeting just so supernatural. Got healed of a condition, and I'm going, yeah, buddy, that is so cool. It was a long-term thing that was so bad and just debilitating, and God just snapped him out of that. I mean, well, the next time this guest speaker came in, he had another problem and laid hands on him and spoke to him, and he told me, he said, well, he didn't have it. How many of y'all know he had it? <laughs> it happened all over the room. He had it, but it didn't happen for him. Well, what was he saying? He said he didn't have it. It's out of the delight of the heart. You could say over the overflow, out of the abundance, over the more than enough, but it's what's perking and bubbling and working in you. Healing is not casual. The blessings of God are not for the casual observer. Well, Lord, just send something my way, but I'll be moving on. No, you got to be on it all the time. you got to say, Lord, I'm after this. 
I'm after this healing in my body. I'm after the blessing of the Lord. I'm after new seed to sow. I'm after a happy marriage. Lord, I'm after my kids being raised right. You got to put that as a treasure where it becomes a delight. Now, a delight's different than somebody just came up and said, I want to give you this blessing, and you go, well, I'll take it. It's something you got to pursue. It's something you got to be on. It's something you got to be mindful of. It's something that you got to exclude to the measure of something good. You got to exclude something bad. Matter of fact, it says here, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Verse 36, but I say to you. Now, when he says, but I say to you, this is where he ties it together. He's going to say it in stronger terms. But I say to you that every idle word, that word idle means barren. That fits. It means unemployed. Worthless is the word it means. Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. It means you don't get your treasure right till you're delighting in something. So you got to delight into the place where the idle words, the idle words, the insignificant words, the unemployed, the empty words, clouds without rain, that they become a thing of your past. They're not the thing you delight in. You know people delight in gossip. They delight in exaggeration. They delight in, oh, let me tell you my story. And they just exaggerate, and they delight in that. Well, if that's what's in overflow, that's what's in their heart, and it comes out of their mouth, guess what's coming into their future? Let's get on to some good stuff. This is the good stuff. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is life. Well, I just want to go on where you talk about the blessings. I am, because you can adjust. Say, I can adjust. You can adjust this morning. Everybody can change what goes into their heart, what becomes their treasure. Everybody can adjust. We're all in a continual system of flux where we're moving from one way to another, either for increase or decrease. We're all moving. Nobody's been rock solid. Here you are. It'll never change. We're all changing to set ourselves where every word I speak is employed. It is pregnant. It is alive with the ability of God. Listen, when I speak... That's the end of it. That when I speak, it's over. Let me read you something. This is Brother Hagin's book. It's in the bookstore called Words. Let me read a little section here. When Ken Jr. was two and a half years old, I held that little fellow up in my hands and said, Lord, thank you for this boy. I realize you've given this new life that I hold in my hands to my wife and me. I realize that it's my responsibility, because I know the Bible, to train up this child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. I realize your word says to bring children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it because children are trained not only by precept, but by example. I'm going to live right in front of him. I'm going to do what's right, and I'll be honest with you if I miss it. When our little girl Pat was born, I took her into my arms immediately and said the same thing over her that I had said over Ken. I'll do right. I'll raise her right. I'll train her. I'll set the right example in front of her and teach her precepts from the Word of God. I'll teach her by example. I know you didn't have what you say. So I say to this child like Ken, I say this child like Ken will grow up strong physically without sickness or disease, will be alert mentally and stalwart spiritually. Years afterwards, even when our Ken folks who felt we'd ruined everything by going off with tongue talkers said, there's something to that. There has to be. Kenneth's children are never sick. They're adults now with families of their own, and I don't believe I've prayed more than a half dozen times for both of them in all of these years. Why? Because you can have what you say, and I had already said it. Amen. The last word standing is doing the commanding. Amen. 
So we need to quit fishtailing. We need to quit willy-wigging. We need to get on or get off. We need to decide where we're going to live because what you develop in your heart unto delight will come out of your mouth. And the last word, the last word you have coming out of your mouth is working for you right now. That's real good preaching. Go ahead and take another scripture. I believe it will. It's in Job. Don't go there, but let me just tell you what 22, 28 says in Job. It says, thou shalt decree a thing. I, I like that. Thou shalt decree a thing, Job said, and it shall be established unto you, and the light shall shine upon your ways. That word decree doesn't just mean yell out. It means to cut. It means to divide. It means to separate. So it's talking about decreeing here with passion. It's talking about a sincere statement. So you got to divide. You can't just be spouting off, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to have that. That doesn't mean anything. It's raw. It's full of things that will come back and bite you, get you. But when you work on it, when you craft it with the Holy Ghost... Lord, what do you want me to have? I see it here in your word. What does that mean to me? What's the specifics on me? How should I go and what should I do? What's the plan here, Lord? I'm praying this out. I'm going to spend a little time getting this right and then getting settled inside where you go, I have the will of God on this. I know what it is. It's not enough. It's not enough to say, I know the will of God. That's not enough. Say, it's not enough. It's not enough enough to know. Then a day will come that you'll say with confidence, out of a faith-filled, a delighting heart, I decree a thing, I divide it, I cut it in two, I separate it. And the Bible says it shall be established. The word established in the Hebrew there means to be fulfilled. It means to be satisfied. It means to be raised up and proven, to be proven. You shall decree a thing, the Lord says, and it'll happen just like you said. It'll be proved out. I tell you, I want to be that kind of person. I don't want to be getting on the prayer chain and on the prayer board and around the world, the telephone, you know, whatever. Y'all pray for me. Well, what are we praying? Well, things will get better. I'm telling you, that's a waste of telephone time. That's a waste of everything. It's even negative. It make you think there's something that God can't provide, and you'll get disappointed in him thinking, what happened? You'll look at the church and say, they ain't got it. And they don't. <laughs> so we have to spend some time. Building the treasure in our heart. There's some junk in there. I said there's some unbelief in there. There could be some tradition in there. There could be some wrong thinking in there. There could sure be some wrong expectations. Well, I always believed, and here it comes. Just a bunch of trash. I always just thought, well, hello, who cares? But if you always thought that and it's never happened, maybe, maybe God's asleep or you thought wrong. I go for the you thought wrong part. He said, you shall decree a thing, and it shall be established unto you, and the light shall shine on your way. Wherever you go, I decreed a thing. Well, the light just shone there. Go here. Well, I go over here. I decreed a thing. It's not going to be based on what somebody can do for me, what events are happening. Well, I didn't know it was going to be 911. I guess my deal's off. No. The light shines on my way. There's a narrow path that goes out. Even though there's trouble all around, I've decreed a thing. God's showing me the one way that it's going to be established, fulfilled, proven, and satisfied to me. So my words have a part. People that are failures just speak failure. People that succeed have built success inside. It doesn't mean they was born that way. It doesn't mean they didn't have some stuff to overcome. It didn't mean they didn't have some things that were in them that were wrong. They had to evict and say, get out. I was raised in lack. 
It was sincere lack. It was all sorts of things that were right about investments and someday. But I'm telling you, we didn't have diddly. And when, and when he did come around, he didn't have anything. Hallelujah. So I've had to change me. I've had to delight in prosperity. Nobody handed it to me. And I hadn't fulfilled it yet. I'm still every once in a while. You know, the other day I said, just had to get all over myself because I said, well, that beats me. And all of a sudden it's like, what? Nothing beats me in the name of Jesus. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I am more than a conqueror. Nothing beats me. Nothing nobody had said to me. I said it of me. Well, that beats me. You have to evict some things. You have to catch things as they try to sneak in. Or when you shine the light and say, what's in that heart anyway? What have you really been delighting in? Motive is very, very important here. Using Bible promises, using principles of the word, but really got an agenda. I want it for me, us four and no more. But saying, oh, yeah, I just want to be blessed to be a blessing. Just want to flow with God. My name's Jimmy. I'll take all you give me. We got to look at that stuff because that little delight is what's going to come out of your mouth. And that's what you're going to have. Say amen. amen. So my words divide my future from the world's course. Did you hear that? I said, my words, your words divide your future from what everybody else is going to have. The very strata of life. You will lump you in with a lot of folks based on your words. I looked up the word, thou shalt decree a thing. That word shalt and the word I am are the two strongest expressions of something being established inflexibly. In other words, they are immovable. I shall is a word that means absolute, without compromise, without contradiction. It means I shall means it's done. And when God says I am, it is not like I'm pretty sure I'm getting this. I am means that's the way it is. So when we say I shall decree a thing, you can't just be ambling around there saying, sure would like to. Faith has two things in it. You know those. It believes, and then eventually it speaks. we got to get that inside. What do you want? What do you want to delight in? Now, listen, some people, Bible prosperity is all over them at church. It's all around them, but they just really don't want to be prosperous. They just really want to live in their little deal and don't want to give, just want to get out of life just like they are. You know that's how it's going to end. And some people, they just soon take some aspirin and go to the doctor once in a while, unless it gets real, real bad. I just don't want to get myself raised up for healing. Listen, that's how it ends right there. The problem is, is it never ends there. You never get to coast through life and say, well, good enough was good enough. If you ever have that attitude, the devil will choke you off. He'll bust your head. He'll take you down a path of poverty and lack and need. He'll take you down a path in your body where you have to have a miracle. And all of a sudden, you're like that man that says, I got plenty here. I believe I'll build me a tower and lay up and take the rest of my days in ease. It'll be just like that man. And the master came and said, your life is required of you at this hour. So we can't just be on standby. So if I am and I shall to the strongest words, then the antithesis of that would be, I can't or I won't. Or we don't. We don't have enough. We can't make it. It's not going to happen for us. See, those words get in us. But Philippians 4.13 says, let's say it together. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So that blows all that out of the water. I can't, I won't, I don't. He said you can. 
One version says, says that I can master anything and everything through the master who lives in me. So there's the standard right there. I can do anything through Christ. If I can get the treasure of his word inside of me, if I can get him in me by his word, he's in me by his personage, by his spirit. But if I can get him in me by his word, then it will take care of itself one day, one day in the face of trouble. When we usually ran off and said, oh, I can't do that. One day the word will rise up and said, stand fast and speak to the mountain, the tornado, the sickness, the death. And it'll be in there and you go, where'd this come from? It's a treasure and you've been delighting in it. Didn't happen yesterday morning, didn't happen just last week, but you've been sitting there meditating, putting the word in, pushing stuff out, evicting things that are not allowed to stay in a covenant man or woman. And one day when trouble comes, you need to raise someone from the dead, all of a sudden you can speak to it and the life of God will emanate out of your mouth and it'll affect whatever you're speaking to. I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. It's not one of those things that happens often. You don't have time to study up on it. You don't have time to get ready. It's either in you then or not. Amen. It's like when the storm hits. Do you have insurance or not? You can't buy it. <laughs> That's how it is. Amen. Matthew 12, 37, he said, By thy words thou shalt be justified, and by these words thou shalt be condemned. That would go back to Romans 12, 2, where it says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's a proving going on. And how do you prove it? What we need to do is turn our enemy. The unrenewed mind is an enemy. I said the unrenewed mind works against you. It does not like God or the things of God, and it works against you. But you can't go get you another mind. We always used to tease about our dog. We said about Jazzy, we're going to give you a brain transplant with a June bug and get an upgrade. <laughs> anyway, we got to get the thing that's against us, which is our mind, and turn it to be our ally. We got to get some help. We got to get some help in our head, our minds. We got to get to thinking like the word, not just having it on the inside, but changing on the outside. So our mouth, it creates. It creates. I could give you till tomorrow's Sunday week and tell you about examples of people decreeing a thing and it was established to them against all odds. And people call it luck. People call it whatever, but it was their words. It was my words. It was your words. It's what we say. What's some things people say? Now, let me just give you this little list. It's certainly not exhaustive, but let's just take words for what they really mean because we use words flippantly. The Bible says about Genesis chapter 11, that when God came down and there was a people that he said nothing would be withheld from them, the only way he could disrupt this society from going off away from him, they were afraid he was going to send another flood, and so they built this Tower of Babel so they could mock God. He said the only way we can work them is to change their speech. He said they were of one lip and one speech. They all spoke the same thing. They were absolutely in agreement. And he said, there's nothing we can do except he changed their speech. And he began to give them words that the scriptures call fodder. It was roughage. It was words that were barren, idle, and of no account. Well, now we say, I can't remember. Well, where'd you put those keys? I don't remember. Or more importantly, they say, I can't remember. Now, just think about the implications that if you had to live by what you said, when you say, I can't remember, and you stop right there, you go, I can't remember, what does that do if you have what you say? It makes you a vegetable by the weekend. 
It makes you an eggplant by the end of the month. Duh. But it's a process. But you can't say in faith, I can't remember. But how many of us say, I just can't remember what's going on. Or I don't know. This is the coup de grace. This is the mother of all bad words. I don't know or I can't do that. I don't know. When we say, when we dissect that and say, I don't know, in a sense, it freezes our ability to go forward. We can't say, I don't know. This is hard for me. People say, that's hard. Guess what? Guess what? If you have what you say, you got hard times in front of you. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. Well, what are you doing messing with something that's not his yoke if it's not easy? It's not hard. I can't do it. I'm not sure. I don't understand. That's the grandmother of all bad words. I don't understand. I just don't understand. Say, that's a bad word. That's a bad word. I don't understand. The Bible says that we have an unction from the Holy One, and we know all things. I can do all things. I can understand anything that's pertinent to me. Anything I need to know about, I have understanding about it. But when we say, and you go, well, I'm talking about, I don't understand about this or that, and I'm talking about that, here's the context, here's what I mean. But you know, when you plug into a computer, it, it doesn't compute based on what you mean. It takes data literally. It is unforgiving. It is exact. It will crank out exactly what you put in it. And we have to have a legal system, God's legal system, that is exact. Because when we say, by his stripes, I am healed, we can't have pretty close, maybe, someday, it might be. We have to know that that word is precise. It is unrelenting. It is un... It does it. So if that's the truth on that side, we have to have a confidence that what we're saying on this side is also as well. See, it dilutes us. It compromises us. It takes us where we can't believe our own words. Because when we say, I don't understand, or I don't know, or I don't care, then what it does is it makes us not have confidence. We don't really believe that. But when we come over here and try to say, money cometh, we can't do it. We've been rendered impotent. We've been taken away. Can't have it both ways, can we? I feel bad they didn't come. Well, I feel bad. I wouldn't say that. I'd go wonder if it wouldn't have been for them. Now, let's just analyze that. I'd go wonder if it hadn't have been for you. That's just not the truth. We can't afford it. Can't go there this morning. I figured that's what would happen. Well, hello. Tell on you. We need to get you a June bug transplant. <laughs> just my luck. You know, just my luck. You know what that's saying? That is so anti-God, just my luck. Well, just my luck. That takes me back to the hee-haw jingle. Hallelujah. That's par for the course. You know, there's a thousand of them. I'm freezing. I'm burning up. That blew me away. We've got to measure our words. We wouldn't send a novice into a nuclear reactor and say, and all the buttons and the knobs, we wouldn't send one up as a pilot and say, the main pilot's not there today. There's a good co-pilot, and he'll help you. See what you can do. We wouldn't trust him to nothing. We need to act like we're going into a control room of our own life, and there's all these knobs. Actually, there's just one knob in there, and it's our mouth. 
But see, you can't just work on your mouth. You can become aware of it. You can recognize what's in your heart, but that doesn't change it. Not saying bad things doesn't change it. The last word standing is doing the commanding. Leviticus 19.19 says that thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed. Say mingled seed. So see, I got to sow my field with straight seed. I can't put a little good and a little bad in it. It's got to be straight up. Mark 11.23, it says, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea. And does not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things. Shall believe those things that the Bible says. Believe those things that God says. No. Believe those things which he saith. So it's not up to God. Now, it was up to God, so he established blessings and fullness and increase and health. He established what you could have. But now it's not up to God. It's not up to Jesus. It's up to me. Like Debbie just said, I've set before you good. But, you know, choose the good. Put it in. Put it in. Put it in. It'll come out. It'll come out. Put the key in the door. Turn the key. The door will open. But put the key in the door. Change it. Well, I'm hoping for an easier system. Listen, y'all, this system is so simple and so easy that the world can't figure it out. Why, religion can't get it. Theologians, whoo, right over their heads. It's going to take someone that just is kind of simple, full of God. Didn't miss that one, but just was paying attention to God. How do you really work this thing? Is it really to get 38 people to pray for me and and help me? Or is it what's in my mouth? Listen, nobody ever died in faith. Well, that's not true. Sister Annie, she was praying for a miracle to the end, and she was, I'm sorry. It was what's in your heart that came out of your mouth that set your course. Oh, hallelujah. But shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall. There's that word shall. He shall. It is unmitigated, uncompromised, unrelenting. He shall have whatsoever things he saith. Now, y'all, that's it right there. Not everybody wants to hear this, but we must. Because it's setting us off, putting us under, if we're going the wrong way. When we say words that we believe should be, or things that we saw, and we observe what we see, and we say what we saw, then our words start coming out of our mouth, and they begin to create a blueprint. You can't quit saying, I don't understand, and by the weekend have it changed. you got to dig deep. you got to get it. I've been in this for years, where I've been digging deep. When I say, that beats me, I used to say, that chaps my hide. You start itching a little bit, you know, you start, <laughs> you get skin conditions. <laughs> that just chaps my hides. That's how I said, or that just burns me up. You go, well, that's just the way we talk. It sure is, and it's also the way we live. Now, on another little sign here, another little thing here, because like the courtroom, the kingdom of God is precise. It's based on procedure, not on righteousness. I mean, the kingdom of God's on righteousness, but there's a procedural thing. In other words, the saints of God ought to have the best, but you know, sometimes the world seems to have the best. And you go, well, that isn't right. Why do bad things happen to good people? That's not right. That the evil drug runners, bootleggers, and all those people are living the high life, and God's people are over here getting blown away and getting sick and dying of this and that and just having trouble. Why is that? Because it's not based on righteousness in the world. It's based on procedure. 
You can access the righteousness, but if you don't access it, you're just going to have what's out there. And if the devil's involved, and he is, he's the God of this world, he's going to mash on you. He's going to make a where you testify against God. Well, he don't take care of his own. We prayed, but we got blown away. Man, that goes a long ways to affect religion. But it's not true. But it seems true. But now here, so suppose someone came in here and prophesied to you. And it was a good word. I mean, it would be. If it was from God, it'd be a good word. And prophesied to you and said, thus saith the Lord. In six months, you're going to have increased thus and such, and this is going to come into your life. And Kevin's just lathered up, and he goes home, and, and he writes it out, and he puts it on his mirror, and he says, this is the word of the Lord. Or maybe it's not even that dramatic. Maybe you're reading your word, meditating it, and the Lord raises up a scripture. And inside of you, you know God just spoke to you. It wasn't audible. It wasn't somebody, but you know this is God's word to you. Or maybe there's just a still, small voice, the inward witness, where you just know it's going to be all right. Trouble's here, trouble's there, but I got a confidence. I have a witness. It's all right. Now, what happens to that? How come people can stand up and say, I got a word, and it didn't come to pass, testifying against God or his man? It's because of one thing. You shall decree a thing. God will give you the words to decree, and he'll give you these words because trouble's coming. Listen to me, when God gives you a good word, don't just say, oh, it's automatic. Woo, we got the good word. You got to know trouble's coming that you'll need that word. It's going to be the standard against the flood, the the trouble that's coming. And it's not like, well, put that in my little book of promises. You better write it out and you better start saying it. You ought to start putting it in, said, I'm decreeing a thing, and this is how it is. Trouble's coming, trouble's coming, but the word of the Lord will be a strong tower against that trouble. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See, we've taken the prophetic gift and all those things that come, and we've just said, woo, fairy tales from heaven. Little shopping list God sent down and says, well, here's what I want to do for you. It's not near like what it seems. I don't always want a word. (laughs) I mean, you always want a word because you'll need a word, but, you know, if I didn't get a word, it was like, hmm, smooth sailing. (laughs) Woo, thank you, Lord. Do you all get me? So you ought to take the word of the Lord. you got to put it in. Delight in it. Because you're going to have to use it. It's not enough to hear it. you got to speak it out until conviction can come out. I put down here in my notes, the prophetic word is happily received, but it's not empowered till it's spoken. The prophetic word, the word of the unction of the word, is happily received, but it's not empowered till it's spoken. The last word standing is doing the commanding. Now, just this thought here, just as we go, it's real important for you to get into your life and find out what you've said. You can't just access it. You can't just open your head like a filing cabinet and thumb through the files and say, yeah, this is here. But it will come out. If it's in consequence in your heart, if it's got some magnitude, some stuff in your heart, it will come out because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth's going to tell on you. So you've got to listen to your own head. You've got to have somebody that won't be offended, that you won't be offended at if they tell you. What? That's how we do it. We just kind of, you don't want to be a confession police. But on the other hand, we have to arrest one another because we're so used to our own words. But she'll say something or I'll say something. We're just like, what? Or I'll say, that's not what I'm hoping for. That's not what I'm believing for. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. You got to help one another. But if you don't have anybody that, you know, that can talk to you without just tearing you apart in love, then you got to start accessing your life. Because here's what's happened. You've said some things in your past, in the present state, wherever you was. You've said something in a different frame of mind. You said some things. Have you ever said things that you know? Somebody said something, you say, well, we're not going to do that. Has anybody ever done that where somebody will just say, well, we could do this. Well, we're never going to do that. But you were wrong. But you know you could change your mind, but if you don't go and change your words, those words are still out there standing against you. And you'll try to go in and do that, and you'll go, why is this not working? I know I said I wouldn't, but I want to do it now. And you've thought it out, but you've never spoke it out and say, I am doing this. I will have this. This is my life. You've got to rest the last word standing because it's doing the commanding. Hey, that could help you as much as anything we've talked about right there is to go in and look at your life. Look at your life. Look at your life. I know his salvation is new and fresh every morning, but sometimes we got to go back and arrest some words that are still out there working against us. Have you ever been in a room? Brother Hagen talks about this in, in his little book there, Words, where him and his wife paid a pastoral visit to a house, and they knocked on the door. We don't do that anymore because <laughs> it just makes people mad at you. And he said there was a tremendous racket. It was like cockroaches in a dark room when the light came on. Woo! He said they were scrambling, they was banging around and everything, and they finally opened the door. Hello, Brother Hagen, And said they went in there and was visiting and said the room was heavy. And they looked at each other and they said, there's been strong words spoken in this room. Now, the couple wasn't even in there at the time. They'd gone off to do whatever. But you can feel the presence of words. We've had people come into our home, and I'm sure you have too, that'll just comment and say, the peace of God is in this house. There's life in this house. Well, you know, you, the pictures, the paint, the carpet, that's not what has life. The words are still out there working. They don't just disappear when you don't hear them anymore, when they've been registered on your head, your mind, but they're still out there working. So much so that the last word standing is doing the commanding.